Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Connolly with the HarperCollins Library Marketing Team. Thank you so much for joining me for this very special episode. Today, I'm honored to be speaking with Emily Atami, whose debut novel, Fault Lines, is publishing September 7th from Custom House, an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers. Emily grew up in Tokyo and returned there for two years when her children were very young, but now lives in London. She has been published widely as a freelance journalist and travel writer. This is her first novel, and it is such an achievement. I am absolutely swept away by this debut. It's very, very special. And uh, again, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, uh, if you don't mind, Emily, could you introduce listeners to the story of Fault Lines? Yes. So uh, Fault Lines is the story of a housewife uh, living in Tokyo. Uh, she has two children. Um, she has what appears to be everything that in, uh, in Japanese society you would wish to have. A hardworking husband, beautiful apartment, lovely children. Um, it will come as no surprise to readers of books that she isn't very satisfied, actually, with this situation. And she's kind of struggling with... Um, feeling very isolated and with lacking a sense of identity. Um, one night she meets a, a handsome restaurateur as she's out uh, on a very rare night out in Tokyo. She falls into a friendship with him that develops into an affair. And that sounds like I'm giving it away when I say that it develops into an affair, but that's actually, I mean, pretty obvious in page one, so I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> so that's basically the storyline. It's kind of a brief encounter in Tokyo. Excellent. Um, and, you know, I, Tokyo is very much a character in this story, and I can tell it comes from a place of love and deep insight when you write it. I just want to read two quick quotes uh, for, for from reviews uh, for this very special book. One is from the UK from iNews, who says, but this is not a tourist vision of an aloof alien Japan. It is a residence view full of noisy details and the way the city fits into daily life, or rather how life fits around it. I think that is spot on. And then Margot Livesey, author of The Boy in the Field, gave this wonderful quote uh, that includes, Fault Lines is a moving and suspenseful novel full of the best kinds of incidental wisdom. We're going to return to that later, but I'd like to talk about Mizuki's uh, a little bit more. So her voice is really one of a kind. She's very conflicted and sarcastic and insightful. Can you talk a little bit more about her character and you know the whole concept of infidelity in the book and how it's often written when it comes to women and what you wanted to do with her personal journey uh music yes so she she's not a person who feels very guilty uh she i think she feels guilty about a lot of things but the affair isn't one of the things that she feels guilty about and i really wanted to write someone um who didn't feel guilty about these things because i feel that um in general in literature um men are treated a certain way when they have affairs and women are treated in a very different way and i wanted her i wanted to write a character 
who was female, but um, with whom the readers could um, empathize with her situation, absolutely, so that they would be able to, that it was possible to write a story where a woman, a mother has an affair. I mean, arguably something really kind of morally difficult for us to deal with, but um, you can absolutely empathize with the situation that she's in and look at the situation without any kind of judgment on her. Um, she, in terms of her character, uh, with her kind of sarcasm and everything, I think that she has a sense of being um, an outsider, which comes from the fact that she has spent time um, in America, um, despite the fact that she's Japanese. So that gives her like an outsider's perspective on her society. Um, and I think that a lot of us, you know, inside of ourselves, even when we appear to be in the society that we're in and in the group that we're in, on the inside, a lot of us feel like outsiders all the time, right? We're kind of detached from the situation, observing ourselves, usually horrified with what we're doing. Um, and I wanted her, I wanted through her voice to be able to, um, you know, examine kind of the humorous part of that and the the way that, that hurts us when we, the difficulty of being both inside and trying to be inside and feeling outside of something. Um, and I think that she comes to the realization at the end of the book that um, that she it, it isn't it isn't possible to have everything. I, mean, I think she always knew that she couldn't have everything, but at the end she's kind of come to peace with the fact that she couldn't have everything. She accepts it. It's almost like she always knew that, that was going to be the case, but she just had to have one kind of big event in order to convince herself that she's okay and she can fold herself up into the space that she made for herself and that she's got to be okay with that. Yeah, I love that. And it is, I mean, her journey is so multifaceted as she is. I mean, her history, she's, you know, she was a singer, which also adds to this whole complexity of her experience. You know, she lived the nightlife of Tokyo, which is a whole different kind of animal when you approach it and you write about it so beautifully. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about your personal connection to Tokyo and what it was like trying to capture all the facets of the city? Um, well, I was brought up in Tokyo. So Tokyo is the first place that I thought of as being home. Um, and I had I spent my childhood in Tokyo and experienced it as being an incredibly safe, um, really kind of warm, uh, community-minded place where I just felt I had a lot, huge amount of independence because it was full of safe communities. Um, but uh, when I came back to them, when I came back to London, then I... I missed it so much. I mean, I missed it. I think I missed it the way that you would expect to miss a person rather than that I would imagine that you would miss a place. Um, so I thought about it incessantly, probably turned it into something in my mind that was kind of even more magnificent than it really is. And then when I went back there again as an adult, then it was amazing because I have, um, my children were very young when I went back. So I was able to explore it with them as, um, as the Tokyo that I knew from when I was a kid but also to suddenly discover all the things that are so wonderful about it when you're a grown-up like it's fantastic nightlife and it's kind of the excitement of it the buzz um just it's so huge and it has so many different neighborhoods and different corners like you can never get to the bottom of it you can never get to know all of it it's it's just completely intoxicating and um, so when i came back to london which is when i wrote it um when i after we came back to london having lived there as an adult i feel like i was writing it because i was trying to write myself back to tokyo so i wanted to be there again so i was kind of creating it again like through writing about it um and in terms of I mean it's such a struggle to portray it because I feel like I've never done it enough you know I'm always thinking of more detail that I want to put in more color that I want to add I feel like if I was to think of it visually it becomes like some completely insane painting that's got too many colors you know a huge amount of detail because there's so much to say um 
And I just kept thinking of places where I wanted them to go with the characters and, and beautiful places that I wanted to set it or things that I wanted to mention. And I feel like it wasn't even possible to, to jam all of them in, but, but I gave it a good go for them to have a really good time in every part of Tokyo that I could think of. A good go is an understatement, I assure you. It's, again, I've never been there, but I just, I was completely swept away by the pros and just the details that you choose to share. I'm going to read one quick quote from the book. Uh, Buildings seem to disappear into the sky, restaurants and aquariums and offices and karaoke bars on every floor, a layer cake of hidden worlds. Layer cake of hidden worlds is perfect. That's so strong. I, I think it drives home what you were just saying. Back to Mizuki. Um, so, so much of this novel is about being seen, you know, about identity and, you know, how scary and how freeing it can be depending on what you choose to expose. Could you talk about that and maybe how it connects to Tokyo itself? Because, I mean, for me, it doesn't feel like this novel could take place anywhere else and Mizuki's journey couldn't take place anywhere else. I think that in Tokyo in particular, the question comes up a lot. I suppose it probably raises its head a lot for me because of living between London and Tokyo. How some societies create individuals that are very focused upon um, fitting into the society and the whole thought process is that you see yourself as an as a being within a society which is what Japan is 100% like versus uh, societies that uh, encourage you to be an individual and that talk about your own identity and you know you as as one and the difference between those is so interesting I mean it completely dictates the way that we think and feel and behave and I've never really been able to get to the bottom of how how and how one society creates one and the other creates the other. And, um, you know, there are such pros and cons to both of those ways of being. So as I mentioned that Tokyo is such a, Japan is very safe and it has a very warm atmosphere. So all of those, you know, those are the kind of the positives of it. And when I'm in the UK, then often I find myself thinking about Tokyo and thinking, oh, this, whatever it may be, certain types of crime or certain you know your rubbish not being collected or whatever it might be this would never happen in Japan like that you know everyone kind of toes the line and everyone is working for the community having said that when I go to Japan and I'm living there then I often st really start to miss the sense of freedom that I have um, when I'm in the UK the sense that you know I can kind of do what I want to a large degree and no one's really going to pay attention to me or judge judge me or really care what I'm doing and, and I find that to be a very positive and good thing so the kind of the interplay of those two feelings um which I think exists in everyone is a sense that we should do our duty but also that we want to be free and have the freedom to be individuals that really interested me and I feel that Japan is a really perfect place to be able to kind of examine that and Tokyo in particular because you know you're, you're the quality of life that you have in Tokyo is is generally really high everyone you are able, very much able to express yourselves within certain parameters, that there is a real um, strictness to when you're allowed to do it. Because if you think of Japan and you think of, for example, the, uh, the girls doing, um, you know, cosplay or whatever, those kind of, those well-known things, that, that's a lot of freedom of expression, right? But they would be doing it in, um, for example, in Harajuku, which is this like one street, on a Sunday afternoon, never at any other point, um, and they wouldn't even wear their costumes home on the train. For example, so that's, that that would totally show you the way that you can have total freedom of expression, but only within a very set time. So, I, yeah, I think that Tokyo is a really interesting place to think about identity and what it is that we want and what we gain from being individual versus what we gain um, by being part of society.
could you talk a little bit more about maybe even the like smaller, more interpersonal relationships and how those work out? I'm going to read again, just two quick quotes. People are want to hear you, not me, but I do want to just read these quickly. Like Kiyoshi, for example, he's talking about his mother. And I thought this was such a beautiful and tragic and uh, just poignant section where he's talking about the loss of his mother. And he says, sometimes it felt like the part of me that my mother knew disappeared when she did because there wasn't anyone else who saw it. It just faded away. So you know, these, and, and this kind of theme comes up between Kiyoshi and Mizuki, Mizuki and her husband. Could you talk about writing those and, and what it is to be seen in pieces almost? Seen in pieces, yeah. I, I really feel like um, a Japanese, I think that, that this is a feeling that most people, oh, well, what do I say, most people have. It's a, it's a feeling that I'm familiar with that I, a lot of people I speak to, I think, can um, can empathize with. But um, I think that Tokyo is definitely a place where it feels that you 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 choose which parts of yourself to show, and that you've got a um, you've got a, a face, you know, like a, a show you, as it were, versus a real you. And actually, it's interesting because in Japan, you know, there are um, so many different forms of language. For example, so you have like the super formal language versus the casual language. So you know, even in that, that's a way that you're demonstrating which part of yourself you're showing in any situation. And I mean, all of us do it, right? That we behave a certain way at work and we rock up and not actually zoom is a hilarious way to think about it we've got what we're showing like with our shirts and everything on zoom and then underneath we're wearing whatever our boxes or whatever so that's like a kind of ideal um demonstration of the fact that we show parts of ourselves and not parts of ourselves and i guess that um i thought a lot about the fact that in order to have for our relationships to work we actually probably need to hide certain parts of ourselves and I think that that might also be a difference possibly between a Western way of thinking about relationships and identity versus the Japanese way. Because I think that in the West, we slightly have like an ideal to some degree is that someone knows you all the way through and they still love you for it and everything. Whereas I think that in Japan, it would be much more likely you would say, I think that out of courtesy, it's probably best to only show the best parts of yourself or whatever. I mean, that's a, maybe a more traditional way uh, or an old fashioned way of thinking about it as well. And I kind of think that there's a lot of, a lot to be said for both sides of that and it's very interesting and and also that in trying to gain a functioning relationship and to and to make things go harmoniously which is what japan is all about and hiding parts of yourself there will come moments when you start to go crazy which is essentially what this whole book is is one mizuki's one giant temper tantrum about this entire situation and then at the end I was going to say she realizes that she can't do that it's not that she realizes she chooses not to do that because she could right she could spend the rest of her life being completely herself and being outlandish and making the choice these more out there choices but then she realizes what she's going to lose as a result so it's, i guess it's a choice as well okay and now i i do want to return to margot Livesey's quote about incidental wisdom because i thought that really rang true for me did you surprise yourself when you're writing this with your own discoveries whether it was marriage or motherhood or identity beginning to end how did you feel through this I love the way that question's phrased because it sounds like I was sitting there at the desk being so surprised, like, oh, I'm so wise. This is amazing, which definitely never happened. Um, but in terms of, I mean, of course, to write is um, such a, a brilliant opportunity to um, be able to think really deeply on one topic, which I suppose in our day-to-day -day lives, we tend not to do, you know, not to like muse for like an hour and a half on one particular thing or whatever, particularly when you were living the frenetic lives that we live. Um, just modern life in general and you know with kids and everything so I really liked uh, that opportunity to do that and I did feel that when I was thinking about the characters and thinking about 
I think I, in some instances, I thought about the ways that they would behave and I knew that they would behave in that way, but it was examining why that was that um, led to being able to think about a lot of things that um, seemed true to me and that were really interesting to me. Um, also, because I basically thought about the book constantly for a certain period of time, um, things would occur to me, you know, just randomly as I was hanging out with the washing or whatever, you'd have a, a thought about something and, um, and being with children, I think, constantly makes you realise new things as well. So that all just got shoved into the book. <laughs> Excellent. And speaking of children, that's I wanted to talk a bit more about motherhood, modern motherhood, which you write so eloquently in the book. Surprising no one, I am not a mother, I'm not a parent, but I thought it just, some of these passages I'll read very quickly. Parenting is savage. There is no other activity on earth that you could get up to do four times a night for two years straight. And at the end, it'd be nearly in the running for mediocre. Uh, and then this is beautiful. Your heart can't break unless it has something to love. The way you love your children, they take your heart with you everywhere they go. So writing modern motherhood, could you talk about that? And if there are any writers you turn to maybe help make sense of it? Because I, I do think, again, these are just really powerful passages and themes in the book. Well, I was thinking about, um, in terms of books that I uh, read or that I, you know, I, well, one of the first ones that came to mind was that, um, as we know, after my kids were born and my brain had been shredded and I couldn't concentrate on anything, the first book that I was able to read was um, High Tide in Tucson. I really hope I'm saying that right. Is, that, is it Tucson? High Tide in Tucson by um, Barbara Kingsolver. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a book of uh, essays. And it was fantastic because, you know, her essays were kind of the uh, right length for, for, to be able to focus on. And she writes about motherhood in a way that is just so beautiful and so true because motherhood is just this uh, crazy uh, combination of being hilarious and um, so joyful and, ju and just, re I find it really funny, but then also more heartbreaking than you can possibly imagine, more difficult. I mean, the stakes are just higher than you could ever have imagined before you had the children. The total freak out that you have when when you first become a parent and you realize the, the, the level of responsibility that you've taken on is quite terrifying. So Barbara Kingsolver was, I found her very um, beautifully eloquent and so kind of emotionally astute on that. Um, I also really like uh, the work of Alison Pearson. She wrote, um, uh, you know, I don't know how she does it. I love stuff like that, stuff that kind of appears on the surface to be quite light and um, she's really, you know, it's really funny, mainly so it was a funny book. But there are passages in it where amidst all the humour and everything, the things that she was saying about the degree to which, how much you love your children, how much that changes your life, almost kind of throw away, throw away passages about that. The combination I found really beautiful and also kind of was basically what motherhood is like in terms of, as I said, it being very funny and energetic, but moments of just, you know, an intense emotion that seems inappropriate for the fact that you have just finished wiping someone's bum or they say something really hilarious and then you're overtaken by something that makes you want to cry because it's so extreme, that kind of thing. And I think Maria Semple as well uh, is another person that in terms of, um, the kind of uh, the, the struggle for identity um, with the fact that you do want to give yourself over to your kids. Because that's the thing, I think that it's quite difficult. Often it's easy to fall into a, not a trap, but fall into that kind of, you know, that kind of gin o'clock mother's club of being like, oh, isn't it awful where you all just need to drink loads of wine, which I totally agree with and and am part of to some degree. But I also think that that can become oversimplified sometimes and it can be read from the outside as just everyone thinks it's awful. And it's all just 
funny you know it is but it's a combination right so so i think feel like those people like maria sample and, and um, barbara kingsall but they they do a combination of of showing that up but also the empathy of of how much we desperately want to be there for our children and we want to give ourselves over to them and that's where the difficulty is excellent so let's see i do want to talk a little bit more about tokyo and so you know you primarily this book will be read by Western audiences. And I, there are some really funny, painful sections in the book where you're seeing introduce, you're seeing, you know, Westerners introduced to Japanese culture, maybe for the first time. And I like this section when Mizuki, she, part of her job is training Westerners to kind of be astute in Japanese culture and customs, correct? Um, so she has her student, Lawrence, and she, the section says, there are rules about everything, I tell them. I don't add, you will never, ever know them all or understand them, or even when you think you do and think you've been accepted, you will be an eternal outsider. I should know. So what was it like writing Japan? And are you, were you aware of like writing for a Western reader? Like what's, what's that balancing? Like? I guess in a way, I, I feel like I was in quite a, um, a privileged position from that respect because of um I'm because of being half English and half Japanese I guess I always slightly had one foot in the door uh, and one foot out of the door anyway so to some degree it's quite natural a natural way for me to be able to see it is to be both in it and to be able to observe it from the outside at the same time um particularly because I guess you know, when I, when I go there and I'm with my Japanese family, then I'm completely in it and I am Japanese, so I can feel it from the inside. But my um, husband, uh, for example, is um, British and he doesn't speak uh, Japanese. So when we were living there, there were quite a lot of situations. There were a lot of situations where we'd be with other English people, or, uh, expats, um, and that would be just the natural environment that we were in. But there would be a lot of situations where he would be the outsider, so I was explaining stuff to him. So explaining things and trying to convey... Um, you know how you need to behave or um whatever it is uh, kind of is quite is something that i feel like i was doing um a lot in my life anyway um and i feel like this was really fun because i feel like i've always been wanting to talk about tokyo and i have often you know described it or explained it or whatever and this was just an opportunity i guess to do it in as much detail as i've always wanted to do it um so i didn't i mean did, i didn't intend i didn't think about writing it to westerners in terms of the fact that i didn't I, I didn't intend to write it in like a patronizing way or anything like that. You know, I just really wanted, I wanted people to to feel it and to love it as much as I do. And that was my main feeling behind it. So I also wanted to leave in a lot of the, you know, the untranslated words and stuff like that so that you could, I felt like that was a good way to be able to, to immerse, to immerse oneself in it, hopefully. And it's, it's really fascinating to hear what you set out to do because again, as a reader, you succeeded tenfold. I mean, everything in this book is so poignant and sharp. And again, I adored it. Um, one last question. And again, thank you so much for your time today, Emily. Um, I just want to talk about, you know, Tokyo one final time. Uh, Tokyo, like Mizuki, have gone through so many phases and lives and skins. Did this novel change as you wrote it? And did your relationship with the character of the city change uh, through the writing of it? I think that the the novel, once it had got started, I mean, so at the very beginning, uh, Mizuki wasn't even Japanese, but that when when that started and I just had her as a character, that was actually only a very brief period of time when she was kind of floating around in my head as this character. So I didn't take that. So that was obviously very different. But once she had become Japanese and I realized that was what it was, um, then in a, the book, did the novel didn't change that much in my mind because I was, 
I really love stuff that's quite like character led and place led. Um, so, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I was um, heavily plotting all these really complex plot twists. It's not the kind of book that it is. So in terms of that, it didn't it didn't have to change around too much. And it was more like I had a picture of of where I wanted it to head. And it was um, me just kind of trying to get there with what I was doing. Um, so I think that the book, once once it had taken form, didn't change all that much. Um, and in terms of whether or not my relationship with the city, I mean, I've probably I haven't been able to go back to Japan since I wrote the book because of um, the current situation and everything. So that that feels really insane to me. But Tokyo has been so alive in my mind for such a long time and in a way that's even more intense than it usually plays on my mind anyway, as somewhere that I'm missing all the time. But I haven't I haven't seen it for so long, um, which I, I can't really even believe it. Um, and I think that. Um, I think that it always is probably slightly different in my mind. You know, Tokyo is different to me when I'm in London and London different to me when I'm in Tokyo. Both of those places are kind of even more vivid to me when I'm away from them. And I do realize that I have a tendency to idealize them in my head when I'm away from them and forget everything that drives me crazy about them. Um, which for the purposes of the book, I was happy with, I, I want, you know, I kind of wanted to glamorize it and not that it is glamorous, but you know, make it even more kind of extreme and alive than it already is. Um, so I suppose, that it just has become even more extreme in my mind, um, but it hasn't it hasn't changed it as such. I suppose when I go back there, I might I might feel differently. I probably will. I think things change as you go to it and from it. But um, yeah, I think I just it's just even more bombastic in my head. <laughs> things do change. We can't avoid it. But one thing that won't change is how brilliant this book is. And I thank you so much, Emily, for taking the time to speak with me. Um, anything else you want to say before we close the episode? No, just um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much in fact, to anyone who reads it. Um, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, re uh, listeners, Fault Lines is coming September 7th. Librarians, the eGalley is available now on Edelweiss and NetGalley, and the audiobook eGalley is up. So run, don't walk, check it out. And Again, thank you, Emily, for joining me. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.